question. Uh, today's Bible reading comes from 1 Peter. Uh, we're reading chapter 3, verses 18 to 17. No, 8 to 17. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For... Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Good morning, friends. Thank you. Hey, uh, it's true, I did give myself a haircut. So let's get this uh, out of the way, off the top, uh, off the top, see what I did there. Um, so yes, I gave myself a haircut, it's a little bit different to what I might have been wearing lately, and you're probably like some of 8 o'clock thinking, why? Why not? Um, well, there's a bunch of reasons why. So do you mind if I just get this done here so we don't have to do this over morning tea? Um, here's a good reason, my wife likes it. So my wife likes it. That's good. My kids, we were talking and we were kind of like, yeah, I used to sometimes shave my head. And they're like, no, you did. Like, I did before you were born. So I showed them that it was true. My boys like it. My daughter's not sure. That's fun. Um, why else? Uh, well, permit me a moment of vanity. Uh, my hair is nothing to write home about. It's not that good a hair. Um, but I reckon I've got a pretty good shaped skull. So I thought, skull versus hair, I go skull. And uh, yeah, love to my brothers out there also sporting skull. Good to see. Uh, one of the other reasons, it grows back. Sorry, same brothers. Um, well, some of you. Mine grows back. <laughs> so the stakes are not high. Um, Another thing, it was kind of a mark of a season. Uh, there was an important event during the week where I thought I wanted to do this, but I, I wanted to wait till after that midweek event just out of respect because I didn't want to draw too much attention to myself. Um, but I was like, after that, this is an important thing we are waiting for. After that, I'm just going to do something different. So off I went and shaved my head. Hey, here's another reason. Um, you know Joe Brain? 
she's kind of like a big sister on the ministry team to me because she's older than me. Um, I knew it would shock her. And little brothers love shocking big sisters. And sure enough, when I walked into uh, the office the other day, she was like, what have you done? You look like you've just escaped prison. (laughs) And I said, good. And it was fun. So there are a bunch of different reasons for why this happened. This morning, we continue in our series called Everyday Evangelism. I don't love the word evangelism. I love evangelism, but evangelism sounds like some kind of surgical procedure that only the surgically qualified can perform, but it's not. Um, Yes, we heard last week about those big e-evangelists with the particular gifting and calling God's given them. But really, aren't we just talking about, hey, you heard some really great life-changing news. You received it with joy and the joy spilled out. Hey, did you hear? That's what we're talking about. Hey, did you hear? It's an everyday thing where people like you and I who have heard great news want to share great news. So don't be fearful of a surgically sounding word. We're talking about an everyday activity for everyday people like you and like me. However, like Robin brushing his teeth and wanting to keep them in his gums, there are some things you might want to do intentionally to ensure that this is just your everyday way of life. Now, when I say the word intentionally, uh, maybe for you the stakes go up. Well, intentionally, right. Let me get serious. This is a, a big thing. When you think about intentional living and the stakes go up, Do you think necessarily that your thinking needs to change from why I cut my hair? Your gut and my gut might might say, well, yes. What if I said to you this morning, maybe not. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe high stakes decisions and intentional living and all this sort of stuff does not necessarily mean that the thought process is terribly, terribly different to, ha-ha, this will make Joe Brain, yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, my wife likes it, that's cool. Oh, I've got a pretty good shape. Maybe the thought process isn't too different. This morning, as we talk about living intentionally in our Everyday Evangelism series, here's what I want to share with you as I take a look at 1 Peter 3 with you. And I do need to apologize. There are some great bits in this passage that I just won't be able to deal with this morning because I really want to show you what this bit of scripture has to do with an intentional life for someone who wants to be an everyday good news sharer. Here's the thing. i come up on the screen. The intentional life knows how it holds hope And it also knows how it's held by hope. You can see it there. An intentional life knows how it holds hope and how it's held by hope. Let me talk to you about holding hope. I shared with you how I came to make a decision about my hair. Let's flip it to you for a moment. Some of your decisions. How did you decide upon what you would wear to church this morning? What were the reasons or the reason? How did you choose where you would sit in the room? How did you decide upon your method of transport to get here? How did you decide, why did you decide upon the place you reside that you left to come here? How and why did you decide upon the vocation you have that supports all of this stuff? And how and why 
did you leave the place that you reside in to come and gather here this morning? What I'm trying to do with you is invite you to explore simple things from Shane's head to your clothes, to where you live, your job, your house, indeed the reason for the faith that you have. Why do you have this faith? Why do you have this hope? This is particularly what 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 to 16 ask us to be ready to answer. Have a look as the scripture comes up on the screen. 1 Peter 3 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We're invited to have an intentional holding, an intentional hope, to be ready to answer, why do you believe that this carpenter from Nazareth is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, is your Saviour and promises you eternal life. Why do you believe that stuff? What's your reason? Well, sometimes when we're challenged with these big thoughts of what's your reason for this or your reason for that, we run away from how I've thought about my head and to another way of thinking. And I want to try and demonstrate it for you this morning, if I can, uh, with a few items here. Uh, This is what some have called foundationalism. This is where someone says, why do you think, why do you believe in God? Why do you trust in Jesus? And you say, well, it stands on this firm foundation. Now, your foundations might vary. You know, some people will say, it's a theological foundation. I just believe because God's called me. After all, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Hey, man, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And you say, my reasons are theological. Some of you might say, I have this hope. The reason for this hope are truly historical. There's not a qualified historian who will debate that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. There'd be a big hole in the historical timeline without it. And so what you need to decide based on this immutable history, this historical fact is, is he Lord, liar or lunatic? C.S. Lewis invited us to think about. On this foundation, it all stands. Or some of you might go philosophical. You might come up with things like some of the great ones who have said, look, nothing moves without something moving it. Consider a a billiard table. You see, ball falls in the hole. Why did that ball fall in the hole? Because the other ball hit it. Why did that ball hit it? Because the white ball hit that one. Why did that one get moved? Because the pool cue hit it. Who moved the pool cue? The almighty unmoved one. In great big philosophical terms, that's called the unmoved mover or a reason to need a God. And so maybe you go, boom, my philosophy leads me to need a God. And you stack up all of this stuff, your theology of philosophy, your history, all these things. And above, at the top, right way around, is your hope. I wonder if that's how it kind of looks for you. Have you engaged with this? When things are really important, here is my sound and solid reason why I believe. I don't know if you realize or if you've felt this can be kind of scary sometimes. Why scary? Because it can be hard to engage with. On these facts that stand that my hope is built upon, well, as I'm having a conversation sharing good news with someone else, they also have hopes and they often also arrive 
with some solid foundations as they have in their minds, as you do in yours, for why they believe and hope what they hope. And as these th- two things come together, it's difficult to engage with one another because there's no space. These things have to stay where they are. And being difficult to engage with, well, the scriptures here have told us, have they not always ready to give a reason for your faith, but you're going to do it respectfully and gently. Hey, whenever I'm thinking about what gentle means, you know what I think of? An elephant's trunk. An elephant's trunk is stronger than any muscle in your body and mine. But it has the same dexterity and feel as my finger. All that strength that can be restrained to a little finger. That's what gentle is. It's strong, it's robust, it's powerful, but it knows how to restrain and hold that power and strength back. And we're called to always have a reason for our faith, not to be, our hope, sorry, not to be flaky, but to be gentle and respectful, to have space to engage with another and treat them with the same respect that we would hope to be treated ourselves. And so it's, it's hard to engage with this. Can I tell you, it's hard to hold as well. Now, if you're able to, wonderful for you, I find it really hard to hold my hope in this way on a set of facts that cannot be moved, uh, this firm foundation. It's, it's really tough stuff. It's hard to hold, and I'm told in the scriptures here that I'm meant to be doing my explanation for my faith. I'm meant to be doing this with gentleness, respect, and keeping a clear conscience. Can I tell you, if I was to give you my reason for believing in this way, my conscience wouldn't be clear. I'd be telling some porky pies. Because I know some stuff about the history... And some stuff, I, I don't know. I'm not a historian. I'm trained in theology and I know some stuff there. But even at more College, they don't teach you everything. I've probably got more questions than answers. And philosophy, who even gets that stuff? So for me to say to you, my faith, my reason for faith is built on these foundations. Well, I personally can't do that. I can't do that because my reason for believing is just far more complex and mattered than uh, what we see here. It's, it's, it's hard to hold, it's hard to engage with, because it's just hard. And it, it challenges my conscience. I'm not sure if I'm being honest when I do this sort of thing. So can I share with you another way to think about how you hold your hope and your reason for believing? And this is more true for me. Rather than looking like this foundation set, it might look a little bit more like this. This is a net. Think of like a net or a spider's web with interconnected bits that work together to robustly hold. So if I was to give a reason for the faith that I have, I can't actually do this with a clear conscience. Why am I a follower of Jesus? Why do I hold this hope that I hold? To be honest, probably being born in Australia rather than Saudi Arabia has something to do with it. I was born in a place where, you know, I was born in the late 70s and uh, Christianity is the main gig. 
And my parents were nominal Roman Catholic. Well, my mum was. Ended up going to a Roman Catholic school called Holy Trinity. So I was introduced to the doctrine of the Trinity before I even understood what the gospel was, which is an interesting Christian journey. Always had kind of a God consciousness, just didn't quite know who he was. In high school, you know, if I'm honest, all my friends were doing it. Like all my friends were becoming Christians and I tried to talk them out of it to start with, but I guess peer pressure and all that, they were going in a direction and... Well, I respected these people. They were making a bit of sense and I was jealous that they spoke about God like they knew him. Because I spoke about God like he was just a force out there, the man upstairs. They were talking about God like he talked back and you could know him. Well, I got jealous of that. Hey, there's some other weird thing that happened. I was driving along in the back of my parents' car. I wasn't driving, my dad was. I'm in the back of the car. I'm in a suburb called North Mead in Sydney on Brian's Road, just going past the Coca-Cola factory, and all of a sudden, my heart that was rebellious to God just got softened. I don't know how that happened. I know that God did it. I know that was an act of His Holy Spirit softening my heart and calling me to Himself, and I really can't tell you much more than that other than God brought a change. I heard some clear people explain to me the gospel. And you know what I loved about their explanation of the gospel of Jesus? It said this, you know, sin, I always thought sin's like the bad stuff you do and it's a bit of a smudge on your name. And Jesus dies on the cross. He's like that poor Jesus showing you that, you know, you did bad stuff and he's trying to help out. And if you live a really good life, then just maybe you can go to heaven. Well, I heard some people explain that that was not actually what Jesus is saying. That's not actually what the Bible says. They were saying sin's not a smudge, it's a death sentence. Jesus' death is not an example, it's a fix. It's dying your death for you and his resurrection is an offer to you that you can have his life because he had your death. Now, he has wiped out your debts. He has brought the opportunity to life. It's a gift and you receive it by faith. And I went... Even my 16-year-old brain can see a lot of reason and clarity in that. I'll have a bit of that. Yep, I'm in. And I responded. Why do I hold the hope that I have? It, I'm sorry, it doesn't look like that. It looks more like this. And my hope that I hold is held in this net. <coughs> Get in there. It took a while for God to. It's in there. And the beauty of this, this hope is held just as genuinely and just as securely, though it's held maybe imperfectly, imperfectly. See, it's not watertight, is it? You pour water through this, it'll drip through. But gee, it's, it's so much easier to engage with for others as they talk to me and they come with, I acknowledge there are gaps. Yeah, I don't know that bit. Yeah, I, I tell you what. I can't explain why God acted that way at that time. I kind of find myself like a guy in the Bible called Job who went, truly I've looked into things too wonderful for me to understand. God is just bigger than me and he knows stuff I don't know. I guess that's why. But I do know that whilst I was a sinner, Christ died for me demonstrating God's love. So yes, there is a gap, but there's also a line of netting that protects me, reminding me that, hey, don't forget God's demonstrated his love. Why doesn't God do anything about these problems? I don't know. It's really tricky. Maybe he's not powerful, but I do know that he rose Jesus from the dead. I do know that he's acted powerfully for his people. So, yeah, there, there, there are gaps. I have to acknowledge I do not understand 
why God doesn't act sometimes. I do not understand why he does act the way he does sometimes. But these things I do know. Let's keep talking and engage. There are gaps. It's not this ah, impenetrable fortress of foundation, but a safe net, truly a safe net. I'm not ashamed to say a safe net in which my hope is held. And so I'm easier to engage with. I can be gentle and respectful. And uh, hey, my conscience is very clear because I hold my faith genuinely, but I do hold it imperfectly with gaps and holes and things I don't know. And I'm less scared. Is it just me or when you're in a conversation with somebody else about the hope that you have, are you scared that they'll ask you a question you don't know the answer to? Or is that just me? Are you scared that they might deliver some kind of knockout punch that shows that your faith, your hope doesn't make sense? Is that just me? Or is that you too? Can someone give me a nod? I just want to make sure that I'm not, thank you, I'm not the only guy who feels this way. When I remember that my faith looks like this, it really helps because, you know, while someone, if someone were to knock out my foundations, that would be really terrible. My hope would come crumbling down. I can't cut this because it's not mine. But uh, sometimes I don't mind if someone takes a few scissors to bits of the reasons for my faith because it's really complex. Now, I used a net this morning because I thought a spider's web might freak you out. But now that we've been talking for a while and we're friends, um, can I say more than a net? I actually think a bit like a spider's web where there are just sticky bits that hold to you. Like I was talking about God's love, there are bits where I go, I, I, I don't understand why God acted that way. I honestly don't. But man, some of the loving things he's done, they just stick to me and I can't free myself from them. I just, I, I couldn't stop believing because uh, there's just this complex net of understanding all different reasons and all different things that work together in an interconnected way that hold my hope. There aren't very many single points of failure and my reason for faith becomes robust. Hopefully it becomes clear it's not ashamed of its imperfection. It's very genuine, it's commendable, and it, you can engage with it. And just as I hope that the person I'm talking to will allow me to share, I must have some kind of thing that allows them to share too. There are gaps, but just as there's enough material here to hold this hope solidly, there's enough data in my faith and enough reason that my faith is held solidly whilst acknowledging the gaps. The intentional life understands how it holds hope. But here's the thing, it also understands how hope holds it. Before I get to that, though, let me say one thing. Amongst the reasons for believing, one of the most significant things I think any one of us can have is our story. Our testimony of how we met Jesus, of how our relationship with Jesus took off. Because it's helpful and useful to be able to quote Thomas Aquinas or C.S. Lewis or Josh McDowell or all these great apologists who can give you great reasons for faith. But can I tell you how powerful your story is? Your messy, contorted... Did you hear about that weird thing that happened to Shane Dirks on Brian's Road, North Mead, where God softened his heart? Yeah, all that stuff. That's your story as you came to God. And it's a story that you can commend gently, respectfully and with a clear conscience. So can I ask you this morning, if I was to say, do you know your story of how you came to Jesus? 
How would you respond? Don't, con- don't be confused. I'm not saying, could you come up here and articulate clearly? I don't care about that. Maybe for another day. I care about if someone sat down with you with a, uh, with, for a coffee and said, hey, um, is this hope you have? How, how, how did you get involved in all this mumbo-jumbo? Would you be able to tell your story? Can I say, if you can't, you know what you need to do this week if an intentional life is the one you want to live. Figure it out. Go back. And it's a story. It has different emphasis at different times. But know your story. Recount your story. I promise you, promise, if you will recount your story, and either write it down or speak it out to yourself, you'll find yourself thanking God by the end of it and saying, thank you, God, for bringing me to yourself. I love this story. And maybe it's got hardship in it. But thank you that you brought me to yourself. You've got to know your story. So here's the next bit. How does this hope, the intentional life also knows how it is held by hope. So it knows how it holds hope, but it also knows how it is held by hope. Do you know the difference between belief and conviction? I think I've shared this before. A belief is something you have. A conviction is something that has you. It holds you. So this is where belief matures and you understand this Lord who is the Lord of your life and this hope is all consuming and it consumes you. This is where evangelism moves from a surgical procedure to I heard this good news. It filled my tank and I started to overflow. I couldn't hold it in because the hope held me. Okay, it becomes a conviction. Now, there are two feared knockout punches, I think, sometimes for Christians. And engaging with others as we think about how we will live as God's person and how we will announce God's news, two of the knockout punches I think people throw at your faith and you might be scared to have thrown at your faith is this one, hypocrite. Where people say, you don't look like the thing you preach. And holier than thou. Where someone says, oh, yes, of course, you're the God person. You're holy. You're better than all the rest of us sort of thing. You're the untouchable saint. And those are two kind of knockout punches people throw. And I think they're two knockout punches that we're kind of scared of. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. And uh, if you know the salvation that is in Christ, hopefully no one wants to boast in themselves and be seen as the holier than thou that no one can really relate to. But here's what Peter speaking God's word, calls us to, and these are commands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now I've got to go quick in this bit. We've got to think about how we're held by our hope. Again, there are times where we can think like this. We can fall into this trap where you think, right, God's given me these commands. What are they again? I'm meant to be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble, uh, all these sorts of things. And if I've achieved all of this, I will be the made Christian. And here I am. kind of boasting in what I've done, standing on top of my hope, 
standing here that you might say, I've done all of these things, and maybe you could be like me someday. You would never say it that boldly. Where I look at me rather than look at God and set myself up for one of those knockout punches. But perhaps the hope that holds us is not one, well, not perhaps, definitely, it's not one where I do all these things and then I'm called one of God's people. It's because I'm called one of God's people. My God has commanded me to be captured by his hope, and though I'll do it imperfectly, to live his life, to live the life he's called me to, to be compassionate and all of these things that Peter writes in this list. Not thinking I've earned this, but so glad that I've received this. I've received God's compassion. I've received God's love. I've received all these, this wonderful grace from God. I'm held by God. I'm on God's team and I've received God. I've received grace. The words that we're called to are responsive words, to be like-minded. So this, this, this picture here, we're held by a hope that causes me to celebrate what God has given to me and how I might live with you. To be like-minded, it's a responsive word. To, to look at your mind and engage with you and have a like-mind after God. To be sympathetic, to feel with others, to love others, to be compassionate. That is to feel and love them from the guts because that's what God did for us. To be humble and not to repay evil with evil. Instead of setting myself up as now I'm the achieved Christian that you can look at and maybe one day if you strive you could be like me but to be a model of someone showing all the things that we have received from God compassion grace love to be someone who openly demonstrates a prayerful dependent dependence upon God to be one who models their imperfection yeah but held by this hope is quick to repent, quick to forgive, and shows what it is not to set themselves up as the self-made person, but the God-held, God-led person. To live a story as a person held not by perfection, but by grace dependent upon God. And so this morning, we're thinking about everyday evangelism. Each day, normal people just sharing the hope that they have through an intentional life. The intentional life holds hope genuinely but imperfectly and it's held genuinely and imperfectly by hope and it knows how that works let me give thanks to god and lead us in prayer our gracious heavenly father we thank you for this hope that we have kept for us in heaven bought for us by the death and resurrection of jesus father god we pray that as we want to share the good news of this hope, that we might do this respectfully with a clear conscience, that we might be easy to engage with for others. Oh Lord God, by your spirit, keep us robust, sound and not flaky, but help us to be respectful conversation partners for others who acknowledge uh, there's some gaps in why I believe, but there are some very significant and sound cords working together as a web that I cannot leave. And I commend to you. And Father God, as we live our lives among one another and among others, may we not set ourselves up as these made Christians, but as people trusting in the hope that we have in a God who has extended grace and so we do likewise. As people quick to repent, as people quick to forgive, as people quick to demonstrate the hope 
that we have. Father God, might we know what it is to hold hope and what it is to be held by this hope. And may the world know that the hope is available to all in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.